me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Green Grass and White Bases podcast. I'm your host, Eric Reardon. We're going with a little bit different of a setup for the podcast today. I'm going to fly solo on today's episode. Having just come back from the American Baseball Coaches Association convention down in Nashville two weekends ago now, I just thought it'd be awesome to come come on here and uh, chop it up a little bit, give you guys some insight onto the things I learned and some pretty cool takeaways from some amazing speakers at the convention down in Nashville. It was my first time at the convention, and I heard a lot of hype going into it about how cool of an event it was, and it lived up to and surpassed all the reviews that I had heard. The convention was awesome. The Opryland Convention Center and Hotel that uh, hosted the event down there was incredible. A ton of space to, to walk around, a lot of good food options. Before we even get into the baseball content, the showroom, the exhibit center, all the, all the people that were there, all the companies that had stands and were offering some products up. So, I mean... Getting in on the first day, flying into Nashville, you know, our drive from the airport to our hotel down the street from the convention center was Grand Ole Opry on the left. We go through downtown Nashville and Broadway and all those famous, uh, famous spots down there. And then we finally get to the hotel, which was about a, about a half mile walk to the convention center. So we were, we were sure to get our steps in every day, making our way to the event. And, um, I mean, plenty of time to walk around in there. The building was huge, and what that allowed for was just the ability to have a ton of great conversations going on at the same time with a ton of people who are super knowledgeable in our game. Tons of topics covered, you know, pitching, which is near and dear to my heart, but then, of course, hitting, defense, base running, mental skills, strength and conditioning. You know, the more, like I always talk about, the more voices we can have in the game, the more perspectives that we can gain, the better off we can be as players, the better off we can be as coaches, and the better that we can blend our craft to something that is super effective for us. And then it allows us to translate better once we get to this coaching point to communicate with different players in different ways. I think something that's become super important or maybe has always been really important in baseball is just the ability to have a different translation for each guy you you work with. So, I mean, it, it's been said as long as I can remember that baseball is such an individualized sport. No one guy is the same as the next guy. Whether I'm a player trying to figure out how I'm going to help my buddy, you know, improve his game, whether I'm a guy that's taking criticism or, you know, some constructive uh, points from another one of my teammates, we can always find different ways to talk to each other. And I think when you just look at the number of different topics, the number of different speakers that were there at the ABCA convention, it really starts to open your eyes a little bit to just how important it is to take in these different ideas, to understand these different perspectives, and to be able to put together all these different pieces that are really important to our game. I think in having conversations with some of the coaches I know down there and being able to connect with them, there was a lot of emphasis put on how these guys or girls or whoever that are presenting at the event, it's a huge point in their career. It means a lot to them. It's an awesome thing to put on their resume to say I was invited to and given the opportunity to give a presentation at the ABCA convention. So they, these guys, these girls, these, these people throughout the baseball industry, they put a ton of emphasis on giving you the best of the best of their knowledge, sharing that with us. And to say that we have hundreds of speakers at this event and all these things are really important, that means we got a ton of bases we have to cover in our game. So what I'm going to get into today is just a couple of the things that stood out to me. I think I have four people listed here that their notes, their points of emphasis jumped off the page to me and meant, to, meant enough to me that I wanted to kind of give you guys a recap, share those thoughts, and uh, just kind of, if nothing else, teach myself a little bit better about um, you know these things that are really important. And 
share some info, kind of go over this stuff that stuck out to me, kind of jumped off the page sitting there listening to a ton of talks throughout the weekend and uh, hopefully continue to build on our understanding of the game and, and, and just highlight some things that are really important to people at people at high levels of our game or at least a high enough level of the game that they get an opportunity to speak at the ABCA convention. So the first guy I'm going to jump into is Chuck Rostano. He's currently the Florida State pitching coach. Previously, he was a pitching coach at Notre Dame. So those guys at Notre Dame went to a super regional last year. The coaching staff from Notre Dame has now jumped on at Florida State, and this will be their first spring with that program. So what Coach Rostano talked about, I mean, being a pitching guy, he made a lot of references to how he handles his pitchers, how he develops those guys, and even how he evaluates those guys. So the first thing he talked about in his presentation was that he has three non-negotiables. Those are that his pitchers have to work fast, they have to consume themselves with pitch execution, and they have to project confidence. I think the work fast and project confidence thing kind of go hand in hand. They work together. If I'm working fast, there's a smaller margin for error, right? I know I'm up there on the mound. I know I'm going to get the job done, and I'm going to throw it. I'm not going to give you a chance to kind of catch your breath and recollect. I'm going to make sure I stay in control of the game. The only thing that kind of works against that from a projecting confidence standpoint, something I'll talk about with a lot of my younger pitchers all the time, is that we can't just grab the ball and get back on the mound and go throw the next pitch and hope it's different, right? So I think the combination of projecting confidence and working fast means I have to be up on the mound, and if somebody is looking at me as a pitcher, I should want them to say, this guy's going after it. This guy's getting to work. This guy's getting his job done, and nothing's going to stand in his way. There's a difference from getting up there and pretending to be confident and getting up there and being confident. So working fast doesn't mean I'm erratic with my pitches. I can't locate anything. I'm getting hit around. It's I'm in control of this game because I've projected confidence. I've convinced myself that things are going to go well today. I've convinced everybody else in the ballpark that things are going to go well today. And I'm going to go after that really quickly and really efficiently so that nobody starts mistaking that anything else is going on. Consuming yourself with pitch execution, what Coach Rostano's message was that we have to make sure as pitchers that we can put all of our pitches in the zone when we want to put them in the zone. So I'll get into a little bit further as we talk about, you know, his game management points, his his points on how to evaluate pitchers. And he provided a ton of information on how even in the modern game where um, velocity has become super important where technology and our evaluation of our metrics has become really prevalent. We can't get away from the foundation of executing our pitches when we're on the mound. So after he talks about his three non-negotiables, Chuck Rostano got into how he evaluates his pitchers. He talked about how this applies to both guys he's recruiting that he wants on his staff and then how he applies this to the guys that are currently on his staff. What was awesome to hear was right off the bat initially he talks about athleticism can the guys i'm recruiting can the guys on my staff execute pfps so what you'll what you'll come to realize as i get on through uh, all these speakers here is that a lot of people talk about creating chaos how do we make practice game like how do i know when i'm watching you in practice every day that you can go out and get the job done once you're on the field and coach Rostano's point was just that if you cannot execute your pfps as a pitcher when the game is tight and we're in a bunt situation, we're in a sack situation where we need to bounce off the mound and make a play, as a pitching coach, I need to be confident in you as a pitcher that you can handle that situation. 
also to that point, we have to move fast, right? So like he talks about working fast with our pitches, we have to have the confidence, like he said in the beginning as well, to bounce off the mound and execute these plays, right? When we get so caught up in executing pitches, executing pitches, executing pitches, this wrinkle gets thrown at us where a guy drops a bunt down and now we have to execute a defensive play. We need to be athletic enough to handle that. We also need to have the wherewithal to know what's going on in the game outside of just I'm throwing the ball over the plate. His next point was, how do we evaluate different pitches? So with the fastball, he talked a ton about can the pitcher get chases? Can he get swings and misses on his fastball? So a lot of the time, especially with the younger guys at the high school level that, that I've become so accustomed to working with, a lot of it becomes about fastball command. And then we try to get those swings and misses and those chases on our off-speed pitches. Coach Rostano's point was just that if we want to get to these higher levels of baseball, we need to be able to have such good execution, such confidence in our fastball that we can make hitters uncomfortable with the one pitch. Uh, he goes into then about what, what that really means at a, at a bare bones level. It's about missing barrels more so than it's about velocity. So that's not to say that we can have low velo guys and, you know, that miss barrels and we're just fine. His point was more to the effect that if I have good velo and it's getting barreled, that's a recipe for disaster, right? What kind of issue do we have if I'm a 90-mile-an-hour-plus guy and suddenly my fastball's flat and these guys are still able to hit the ball off the fence against me? There's something to be worried about there. However, if we have a good fastball and we're missing barrels and we're getting swings and misses and we're getting chases, that's more of the goal that we should be looking to attain while we're developing our fastball. Getting into the off-speed pitches, Rostano talked a lot about breaking ball effectiveness, right? Does it work against the right-handed hitter as well as it works against the left-handed hitter? Meaning, do we get uncomfortable swings? Do we get uncomfortable postures from both sides of the plate? But also, am I able to land it as a pitcher, whether it's in the zone, behind in the count, out of the zone, ahead in the count, when I'm seeing guys come in and stand in from both sides of the plate? Another thing that was super interesting that Coach Rostano talked about was the velocity difference between a breaking ball and a fastball. So this was more pointed to the recruits and guys that we're trying to, to bring on to the staff. Um, he touched on how if a high school pitcher has a smaller gap between his fastball velocity and his breaking ball velocity, that typically means that there's more room for fastball growth. If I can get up there as a pitcher and I can feel how to throw this breaking ball as hard as I can, and I got maybe a four-mile-an-hour gap between that and my fastball, that probably means somewhere in the tank, if I start using my body the right way, there's going to be more fastball velo to come later on down the line just because my body knows how to spin that thing. So it's about seeing the projectability in a pitcher just basing off his repertoire and what you see coming up on the radar gun. And then getting into the changeup, right? So as these both combine, when we're talking about fastball, breaking ball, changeup, does the pitcher have an out pitch, right? When the situation gets sticky and we need to get something done right now, does he have a pitch that he's confident in, that he can go to in a situation where he needs it and his back's against the wall and execution is mandatory? Does he have that pitch that he can go to where he can land where he wants it, when he wants it? And that leads us into the changeup, right? So Again, similar to the breaking ball, does it create bad posture? Does it create swing and misses? Of course, can he locate it on command? So don't confuse this with can I throw my changeup for a strike? What Coach Rostano talked about was that this means if I need to throw my chase changeup that bounces off the plate ahead in the count, I can land that when I want to. If I want to throw a first pitch changeup, oh no, I can land that when I want to. And then the really cool point that he talked about in regards to the changeup was, is it angry or is it quiet? 
He says a lot of the times the guys with quiet changeups, just meaning is there a velo change, right? Is does my changeup come in a little bit softer than my fastball does? That's a quiet changeup. The angry changeup is the one that has the change in velo, the separation in velo, but also it's got that nice spin, it's got that nice bite, some depth to it that kind of falls off the plate and goes under the hitter's barrel. It finishes somewhere different than the hitter thinks it starts, and uh, he's swinging over the top of that thing by the time it comes in the zone. So, I mean, given those factors, um, it's pretty apparent that trying to develop that angry changeup is something we're looking for compared to just that quiet changeup that has a velo difference. After talking about that evaluation period, Coach Rostano got into game management. So this is more on a coaching side than a player development side. He was talking about how to move between this pitcher to that pitcher to the next pitcher when it comes to bullpen management and how we're going to piece the game together. His big emphasis was on anomalies. So think about the Rays pitching staff of late where they bring out guys with super hard or super high arm slots that are really tall. They'll bring in guys that are shorter guys that throw from a lower slot. It's not so much just about left-handed pitcher to right-handed pitcher and we kind of alternate. It's about how hard does this guy throw? What kind of spin rate does this guy have? What slot does he throw from? What's his repertoire? So the point that Coach Rostano was making was more, more to the effect of Am I going to show the hitter something different? And what does that mean outside of just changing sides that the pitcher's facing, right? If this guy was a hard fastball and hard biting slider guy, maybe the next guy I bring in might have a little less velo, might throw a changeup, might spin something different. And I think what stuck out to me, the message I took away was just we can be creative as coaches when it comes to that bullpen management and showing guys different looks. Moving further along, he talks about measurements and evaluation. So again, this points more to how do I how do I get the most out of my guys? How do I pick out what's important to my guys? How do I give these guys an objective foundation so that I can provide accurate feedback, right? So he talks about the measurement that they use at Notre Dame that he'll now use at Florida State is based on quality at bats against. So this system, it's super simple. And I think super effective hearing him talk about it. There's four levels, and it's a three-point system. So if you get a strikeout, you get a zero. If you get a jam, pop-up, broken bat-type contact, it's a one. Anything that's average, like a, like a two-hop single to right field, that's a two. And three for a barrel. So what you'll do is you'll give yourself a score, or whoever's on chart that day on the pitching staff will give the pitcher in the game a score per batter. At the end of the game, you divide up whatever your total score is by the number of batters that you faced. And then we can kind of see what our score is. Obviously, lower is better, right, if zero is a strikeout. So he talked about how less than a 1.6 is elite. 1.6 to 2 is about average. 2.1 plus, we're not looking good that day. So this provides that objective framework for consistent evaluation, right? Sometimes a guy's stat line doesn't match up with his performance. So he might be feeling a little bit better or a little bit worse than he really should be. And when we have a system it doesn't have to be this one but when we have a system that we can base the evaluation off of then it becomes really easy for us to kind of maintain that even keel ride the wave of emotions that comes with baseball and this way too as a coach if a guy's saying why am I not pitching more you can show him his quabs against numbers or whatever metric it is that you're using and say you're not up to snuff and the numbers don't lie but on the other hand if you think a guy's deserving of some more innings we can take the emotion out of it as coaches and say what do his numbers say should I be getting him in more based on the data that I've collected? A couple interesting notes that he touched on at the end were 
in regards to evaluating players were first pitch strikes and he calls it A3P. So first pitch strikes, we want to be at a 57% or greater clip. The A3P ahead in the count or battered out of the box in three pitches or less. It seems to be a lofty goal, but I think that's what the motivating factor is. For this A3P count, we need to be at 67% or greater. So it's all about staying ahead in the count. It's all about commanding the game. The same things he talks about from the beginning. I want to project confidence. I want to be super set on my pitch execution. I want to work fast. If I can keep these numbers at a threshold that I want to be at, where I know it translates to my success, then I can do all those things. I can check all those boxes. Coach Rostano, to finish up on uh, on my take on him, he had two quotes that really stuck with me. The first one, speaking on mechanics, be a tornado through a doorway. So I thought that was really interesting to me to kind of put a bow on everything was how do we tie together being under control as a pitcher with working fast and being explosive the way we want to? We have to realize how we can move our body super quickly, super competitively in a tight space, right? How do I keep myself on balance, whatever, fill in the blank with whatever analogy you want to make there? How do I keep myself effective? How do I keep myself under control when the goal is to work as fast as possible, be as explosive as possible towards home plate? From a coaching perspective, when it comes to the game management and the pitch calling, he kept repeating, the game is a symphony, play the hits. So what what this was interesting to me was I know as a, as a pitching coach calling pitches, sometimes we want to give these guys different looks that start to get away from us. It feels a little bit like we're playing MLB the show. But what we have to understand is a guy is going to be good at what a guy is going to be good at. We don't want to move away from our pitcher's strengths just because we want to provide a different look or we have some idea, right? If this guy's got a really good slider, let him throw his slider. If this guy's got a really good fastball and he can generate the swings and misses and the change in posture on his fastball, let him throw his fastball. His example was if I'm a Bruce Springsteen fan and I have the Born to Run track saved, I'm going to play the Born to Run track. I'm not going to play something that was, you know, buried in one of his albums from when he was still playing with the E Street Band at the Stone Pony when he was, you know, when he was coming up trying to make a name for himself. I'm going to stick to the Born to Run track because I know that's what's going to make me successful. So, Coach, uh, Coach Rostano gave a, gave a super impressive talk that was really near and dear to my heart just as a pitching guy and being so focused on that phase of the game. But we had a ton of guys from a ton of different portions of the game, like I talked about in the introduction. And the next guy that really stood out to me was Laz Gutierrez. He's the Nova Southeastern head coach currently. Formerly, he had worked with the Red Sox as a mental skills coordinator. So Laz's point was, we have to think of the mental game as mental conditioning, not mental magic. So I think a lot of times... It's easy to say the mental part of the game is really important. It's more difficult to figure out how we implement that into our strategy, into into the way we go about our business on the baseball field. So his point in that regard was that the mental portion of the game needs to be trained, needs to be practiced the same way we practice physically or in the weight room, right? I think as coaches, we tell guys we need to get working on our own. We need to get our reps when it comes to our ground balls, our hitting, our pitching. We tell guys we need them to get in the weight room and get bigger, faster, stronger, and then we go ahead and tell them that the mental part of the game is super important, but there's no action items. There's nothing really that we tell them on a consistent basis on how to practice the mental part of the game. So that was Laz's point was, if we all know how important it is, we have to make sure we practice this at the same level that we practice everything that makes us successful physically. His next point was that coaches are the best psychologists. How this struck home to me was, I've heard a ton of talk early on in my coaching career here about how you don't want to talk about yourself, right? Your career is kind of done. Now your job is to coach these guys to the best of your ability. So you kind of want to cut the personal experience out of it. But his point was, no, no, 
you've been in every situation as a player that these kids are living right now. So rely on your own experiences to say the right things at the right times to the right guys. So we don't want to cookie cutter this, right? Each guy we deal with is an individual. The easiest example is this one guy might need me to grab him by the collar and yell at him when the other guy needs me to grab him by the shoulder, kind of tell him to take a deep breath and simmer him down a little bit. We've all met those guys that have the walkout song that's Metallica. We've met those guys that are more like Jacob deGrom and they come out to Simple Man by Leonard Skinner, right? So there's different vibes. There's different approaches that go to each player. As a coach, more than likely you've lived out, you've gone through every situation that these guys are facing on a baseball field. So you can kind of touch and feel how we might need a situation where we got to fire this guy up and we need to get him a little pumped. We might have a situation where we got to calm this guy down and kind of get him to right the ship without getting his heart rate up too much. So instead of cutting yourself out of the situation, find a way to apply what you've learned, what you've been through to help out your guys and kind of get them back in the right headspace so that they can execute the job with the understanding that we're all on each other's side. We're all pulling in the same direction. We all want you to be successful in this moment. A good way he talked about to practice that was this body scan um, idea. So what the body scan is, is at his practices at Nova Southeastern, what Coach Gutierrez has implemented is a breathing routine that they go through every practice before they get any of their drill work done. So between stretching and getting into the physical aspect of practice, getting our reps in, they do this body scan where the ultimate goal is our eyes are closed. We're focused on our breathing patterns. We're getting those counts right in our head. And then at through a portion of the body scan, through a portion of the breathing routine, we mix in this body scan where we get super focused for maybe 30 seconds apiece on one portion of our body. And he said we can focus it so specifically on focusing on one finger, focusing on the lower half of our leg, whatever it might be. He said mix in three or four different parts, take up 30 seconds of your practice to focus on a super specific part of your body in a small portion of time. And how this translates to the game, it allows the player to hone his focus on executing or getting a job done without blowing it out of proportion in a big game. So if I'm in my breathing routine and I struggle to focus on a certain part of my body, how hard is it gonna be when there's bases loaded and we're down by two in the last inning and I need to get this ball through the infield and get my RBIs? On the flip side, if I can be super focused for 30 seconds on feeling the sensation in my right index finger, then I can be super focused on sticking to the job and not blowing things out of proportion when I come up with the bases loaded with two outs in the last inning and I need to get my RBIs. From that same vein, Coach Gutierrez talks about controlling the beast. So how do we move from this breathing routine where it seems a little abstract into translation to the actual game? He says they work it in at batting practice. So during BP, the guy that's on deck will do five burpees while the guy that's in the cage takes his last swing. What this creates is a little bit of that chaos where now I have to get up from doing my burpees, I have to catch my breath, I got to step in the box, and now I have to execute the job, whatever that BP round might be. It's really difficult in a practice environment to create that chaos and create the emotion that comes with playing a baseball game. If I can rep these burpees and get my heart rate up really high, now I have that similar feeling to I come up in that bases loaded two out situation in a game. Once I get in that situation in a game now, I've felt that, I've been exposed to that feeling before, and now it seems more commonplace, just like we're looking for when we take ground balls, PFPs, you name it, in a practice setting. I'm exposed to those situations. I've been there before. Now I know how to handle them. Instead of just saying, I know the mental part of the game is important. What do I do about that? 
Awesome points there by Coach Gutierrez. He was a really cool guy to listen to. Awesome cadence where it was like, this guy is super detailed. He's super into what he's talking about, and he never has to get his voice above this level. We can be conversational. We can get motivated. We can get ourselves right and execute our job and be under control of the situation all at the same time. The next guy that stuck out to me was Mike Glavin. He's the head coach at Northeastern, and he ran through everything from goals and building a culture, what our practice environment should look like, to how to communicate with the players. It was cool to get to see a head coach get up there and just give a breakdown of all the things that are important to him in creating a successful baseball team. The first thing that Coach Glavin touched on was goals of preparation, and he talked about dividing it in half. We have the goals of our preparation versus the goals of our development. Preparation focuses more on the team aspect, so how do we build a culture? The example he gave that they use at Northeastern is they have a hammer. They pass the hammer player to player every day. It's basically a practice MVP. He talked about how it's not a popularity contest. He's had guys that have gone the whole season without getting the hammer. He's had seasons where guys pass it back and forth to each other because two guys get after it harder than everybody else on the day, and they set the standard for the rest of the team. What that does is it creates a little bit of extra motivation for the guys around, you know, for the guys in the program to earn that hammer, right? With a piece like that motivating the team, it becomes harder to to kind of put your head in the sand and and not, you know, not execute your job when you're in the practice environment. He said the best part of of the hammer tradition for him is that everybody on the team wants the hammer every day. Only one guy is going to win it. That's going to be based on how his teammates saw him that day. It's not going to be based on the coaching staff giving out the award. But if everybody's going after earning the hammer at the end of practice, then at least we know everybody's given 100%. Everybody's given their all when they're on the baseball field during that practice time. He also talked about how the team meeting before practice is really important to them. This is a time when coaches will get up and go over notes and things of that nature. But he talked about how they make it a little more team-oriented and they base it around building their culture. His example was he gives his team a book preseason this time of year when you're getting back to campus, and he tells everybody they have to pick out a quote or a passage from the book, and they're responsible for presenting a two-minute presentation to their teammates about what that meant to them, its connection to their life, its connection to the baseball field. What this does is it builds a little bit of camaraderie. It makes the guys vulnerable, right? Not everybody likes getting up there and giving a presentation to an audience, but that builds the camaraderie, right? These guys have to find a way. They don't have a choice. They got to get up there and give the two-minute presentation, and they have to talk about why it's meaningful to them, and they have to give it to their teammates. So when those guys listen, they take in what their buddies are saying, and they get to, little, they get to know a little bit about what's important to their guy that they might not have known about him before. So we build the culture of respect. We build the culture of understanding, but we also understand what motivates our teammates and how we're going to be able to get behind them, even in a, situa in a situation where we're making them feel vulnerable. Then getting into development, he talks about how that's the individual piece, right? So the physical reps. He said there's three pieces to this physical side of the game, to the development side that are really important to him. Having a routine, making sure we have a plan as a coaching staff and sticking to it and staying consistent with whatever those goals are. Randomization. We don't want to let things get stale, right? I think, you know, a lot of these a lot of these presenters at the uh, at the convention talked about how baseball can get monotonous, but at the end of the day, if we can find a way to randomize, make things a little bit different, keep things fresh, everybody stays involved from the coaches to the support staff to the guys on the field. And then finally, competencies, right? What do we believe in and what do we think we have to perfect to be successful? 
So the first two parts lead us into the third one. If we have a plan, we know what goals we're attacking every day. We know what the ultimate level of attainment that we're looking for is. If we can randomize things, we create that chaos and we understand how to reach that goal under difficult situations. But then we always have to have this foundation of these are the competencies that we know we have to be really good at if we're looking for success. I've had a lot of conversation about creating chaos so far. That was a theme that ran through the entire convention. How do we make the practice as game-like as we possibly can? How do we make our preparation and development as close to game feelings, as close to game situations as we can muster? So Coach Glavin's point was if we practice calm and controlled all the time, the game's going to be too fast for us. So we need to find a way to speed up practice the same way we're going to have to play at a game pace, right? So he talks about a couple ways to do that being use your stopwatch, put everything on the timer. If a guy's going to run a four flat down to first base, we need to make sure our defensive reps are done in less than four seconds. He also talked about playing live situations as much as possible. So they, he said they run 27 outs. They'll do feed the machine to hitters while the pitcher stands on the mound, and we can get our defensive reps in that way. And from there, you're practicing and you're promoting creativity. Sometimes when we do situational stuff, when we're just hitting fungos and we're going at that calm and controlled speed, we're not able to work in things like pump fakes, diving plays, creating wrinkles that happen in a game, maybe a rundown, maybe a pickoff. We can't create those organically, right? If we're doing fungo situations, sometimes we tell the guys what to expect and then they can execute it. If we're playing live in 27 outs, guys are going to get caught in a pickle. Guys are going to get picked off. Double cut situations are going to happen, right? Who knows what comes up, but that variability, that chaos where me as a coach, them as players don't understand or don't have any preview of what's about to happen. That's what a baseball game is. We don't know where the pitcher's going to throw it. We don't know where the batter's going to hit it. We don't know where the fielder's going to throw it. How do we create that in practice? He says 27 outs is a great way to do that. Coach Glavin also made a point to talk about how he communicates with his players. So again, going back to the consistency and the routine, he, him and his staff map out a daily, weekly, monthly, seasonal, yearly schedule. So what this allows for them to do is to just stay on track with where they want to go, but it also gives them the ability to check in with their players before each time frame so the players know the expectations, but they also have a little bit of comfort in understanding what's expected of them and what we're going to have to accomplish at practice that next day, week, month, whatever it might be. He says this is another really easy way to create chaos because if six days out of the week you've sent the practice schedule for the next day the night before, on that seventh day, if you don't send the practice schedule out, these kids come in without a plan and suddenly their routine is broken. Now the heart rates are up a little bit. We get a little more of that game speed, those pregame jitters going on just for practice. If you want to stick to sending the game plan out, maybe you send it out one way where we're going to stretch, run, throw. We're going to take PFPs. We're going to do team defense. And then we're going to take BP and finish with 27 outs. You send that out the night before, and then you flip it the next day where you get to practice. Of course, we still stretch, run, throw to make sure our bodies are in good shape. But then instead of 27 outs being at the back end, we start with 27 outs where we're hitting the ground running right away. This little bit of variability, again, it just gets that heart rate up a little bit. It makes things a little more difficult on the guys. It creates a challenge for them. And then it allows us to understand execution when we're facing some adversity, right? So even with this chaos, the players always know the direction that we're going in because they have a long-term view. But day-to-day, -day, things get a little bit different. Just like they will in a game, maybe we go up early, we give up a couple runs in the middle of the game, and now we need to find a way to come back, right? I had the practice plan the night before. I came in under control. Suddenly, I hit this wall of adversity where my coach is creating chaos, flipping the plan around. Now I got to figure out a way to execute through it and make sure I get my job done on the back end. 
awesome conversation there with uh, or awesome presentation there by Coach Glavin and just the the creating chaos thing excites me, man. I think in baseball the monotony can certainly take over, and when we find ways to to you know mix in some of that variability and make things different and bottom line it's fun right how do we make the game fun how do we make it feel game like how do we compete at a high level if all i have to do as a coach is create something as simple as flipping the practice plan upside down the guys are going to be into it we're going to have we're going to create that environment where it's a little more chaotic and then like coach gutierrez talked about when we get into the game We've hit a little bit of that adversity before. We've practiced these situations where our heart rate gets up. This isn't something that's new to us. This is something that we've experienced. The last guy I want to dive into is Matt Blake. He's the Yankees pitching coach. So he started off his conversation with a lot of talk about data and technology. It was super impressive to see at a big league level the resources that these guys have available and just how fine-tuned and nitty-gritty we can get with the game. He talked a lot about uh, Lewisaga's uh, arm slot, a lot about his release point, a lot about his, you know, induced horizontal vertical break that impacts his sinker in a game. So he showed a bunch of videos about Loisaga specifically and how they found his release point was a little bit higher halfway through the season than they wanted it to be. They dropped that thing down and suddenly his ERA dropped like five points in the next three months. Um, that stuff was awesome to see. And it's awesome to, to just understand how valuable technology and that kind of thing can be in our game today. But what I also loved about Coach Blake's conversation was that he touched on some pieces that you can implement as a coach, even if your budget doesn't allow for such you know high-level technology as the Yankees are able to attain. So the four main pieces that he talked about um, as it comes to developing pitchers, obviously in his case, but I think these, these factors can apply to any ball player. First one was having a North Star. So his point in this regard was pick a metric, use it as a reference point to measure success, but also provide objective feedback. So the example he used was FIP, right? We want to take all the defense out of the equation, fielding independent pitching, and see how we're faring as pitchers based on what's expected of us given the results that uh, that we encounter in a game. I know at Newark, um, at the Division Three level, I don't think FIP is a, is a stat that we that we really track. But at Newark, I'll use our strikeout to walk ratio with our guys. Um, when I came in, I looked at the the stats from the year before, and our K to walk ratio was two to one in the walk direction. So I told the guys our goal to attain is we want to have as a staff a three to one strikeouts to walk ratio. Super proud of them this past year that they were able to flip it to a two-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratio. So we reversed from where we were at the year before, but we're not quite where we need to be yet. So it gives us a little bit of motivation under uh, under our uh, under ourselves to, to continue to grind and continue to get better. But you could use any metric you want, and that was Coach Blake's point, was that we could use ERA, we could use WHIP on the hitting side, we could use average, we could use strikeout-to-walk on the hitting side, we could do RBIs, whatever it is that we might want to fill in that blank with. This way, the guys have something to chase, but also you have a metric as a coach to base performance off of without saying, I think you looked good today, or I don't think that was your best day. You can get to the numbers and kind of provide a framework that we can agree upon, because again, these numbers aren't going to lie. Um, his second point was, as a coach, how do you partner with the players? So he said this relationship is centered around three questions. As a player, who are you now? Who do you want to be? And how are you going to get there? So I think the who are you now question is super valuable. I think there's a lot of points as a coach where we see guys come in and they're focused on their development. They know who they want to be. They know what level of ball they want to play. But they're not 
used to appraising where they're at currently. And if we just look at where we want to go, it's hard to understand how we might bridge the gap, right? How do we answer that last question? How am I going to get there? If I don't know what my starting point is and I plug di uh, directions into my GPS, it can't take me there. I have to give it a starting point to understand how I'm going to reach the end point. So as a player, I have to be able to look myself in the mirror and give an honest, objective evaluation of where I currently stand. Once we have that understanding, that foundation, we can then go ahead and say, but this is where I want to get to. And then when we have those two points in mind, just like the GPS example, we can figure out the avenues we need to take to reach that end destination. But we need to make sure those first two boxes are checked, right? Who am I now? Where do I stand? How am I looking at this current juncture? What kind of goals do I have? And then what actionable, tangible pieces am I going to use to achieve those goals? I think it's easy to see how that might apply at just the player level. But he says, as a coach, you need to be able to partner with those players and understand individually where each guy is, where he wants to go. Because again, that final destination might be different guy to guy. And then we can get an understanding of this is how we're going to get there so that you and I can be on the same page with what our plan is to move forward and continue to develop. Coach Blake's third point was about goals and objective settings. So where is the player on a developmental level, right? Not just who he is or what he's capable of as a player now, but how far along is he in his development? His point from a Yankees perspective was, a guy like Garrett Cole is at a different point than a 16-year-old they just signed from you know, the international pool. So we need to be able to cater to the guy on an individual level based on who he is, where he's at in his career, and what he's capable of. And then the next focus becomes what does that guy do well and what does he need work on? So from there, we can kind of pick out, okay, these are the things we need to continue to refine, but you're good at them. So we can make sure we get our focus developmentally on some other things. And he talks about how the best things to work on developmentally at the beginning of that partnership are the low-hanging fruits, right? What's the easiest fix and what changes are going to make the biggest impacts quickly? He said the, the bottom line to this, the impact that this has is it boosts the confidence in the player, right? If I got an easy fix that I can get a couple weeks work in and now I start to see results on the back end of that, I'm going to be more confident when I get out on the mound, I get in the batter's box, I go play defense, whatever that situation might be. But also, it builds trust in your system as a coach. If the player knows that you can pick out some things he's deficient in, we can clean those things up really quickly, and then he can see results on the back end. He's going to start to have some more trust in you and your abilities where you don't have to say, look at my resume or whatever it might be. You can say, listen, we've picked out these things we need to get better at. We're going to clean them up really quickly doing X, Y, and Z, and then we're going to be able to reach those levels that we want to reach, and you're going to see results from it. If I'm a player and a coach helps me get through that system, I'm going to start feeling better about myself, but I'm also going to start feeling better, feeling better about the coach and the relationship I have with him or her. The last point that Coach Blake touched on was navigating difficult conversations. So as much as his points were, we want to do these things with our data, we want to do these things with our stats and our metrics, we want to set these goals and have this partnership, part of that is it's not always easy to have a conversation with a guy that's going good with a guy that's going bad. So the basis of that was, is this player I'm talking to or I'm looking at as good or as bad as he thinks he is? This is when you go back to that North Star metric and you say, listen, I know you had a bad outing tonight, but we're basing it off our strikeout to walk ratio and you struck out three times as many batters as you walked. Numbers wise, you're right where we need you to be. It's baseball. The ball didn't bounce our way tonight. Let's get back. Let's get back to it and continue to work. On the flip side, is he as good as he thinks he is? So this goes back to even Coach Rostano's point at the beginning of our conversation where he's saying, 
this guy's coming to me asking for more innings, but his quality at bats against score is super high when we want it to be super low. We can use these metrics to tell this guy, listen, I still love you. I'm still a huge fan of you. I know you're a hard worker, but here's where the numbers are at right now. So we need to figure out what we need to make adjustments on so that we get them back to the level we want them to be. His next point in navigating the difficult conversations was keeping the main thing the main thing. Essentially, his point was stick to what you're good at as a coach, as a player, similar to Coach Rostano's point about playing the hits, right? We don't need to scrap what we're good at as a player. We don't need to player we don't need to tell a player to go back to the drawing board out of desperation just because I had a bad outing, right? We need to continue to make the things we're good at better. We need to continue to get confident in those things, but we also need to figure out how to develop the things we might need extra work on simultaneously, right? It's not always about scrapping something. It's about continuing to build on a good foundation. So if we lose our good foundation, now all we've done is taken steps back when we're trying to take steps forward. It needs to be continuous development from that foundation of what we're good at, what the player's good at, but it also needs to be building on that foundation, which never means getting rid of that foundation and taking away what we're good at. And then the last point that that Matt Blake made was avoid emotionally motivated physical adjustments. So again, it's a very similar point, but a bad outing doesn't necessarily mean we have to go back to the drawing board. There's a little bit of trust the process that goes on. And I think similar to the understanding that the mental portion of baseball is really important. It's just that the ball doesn't always bounce our way in a baseball game, right? Like I can't, uh, you know, everybody that's that's listening has heard, well, that's baseball, right? You know, a game built around failure as a hitter where you're going to bat 300 if you're a Hall of Famer in the big leagues. Um, a game where as a pitcher, the best guys in the world give up home runs, right? So we can't expect success all the time. Sometimes that's just the way the ball bounces, right? So we don't, we don't need to say, oh, I gave up a home run on my slider tonight, so I'm going to scrap the slider and try to develop a curveball fill in the blank with whatever example you want to make. But the bottom line, the point of that is if we have this North Star, this metric that we're using to make our analysis of our performance objective, then we're never going to find ourselves in a situation where we're down in the dumps because we gave up five runs in two innings and now we want to scrap everything and try to start anew, right? A point that I heard throughout my college career was trust what got you here. You're at the level you're at because you deserve to be there. And if you want to become a totally different player because of an emotionally motivated situation, then you're not going to be the player that was good enough to be at this level anymore. So there's a fine line. There's a certain balance between sticking to your guns, trusting what you're good at, trusting that process, and making the adjustments where we need to. So Coach Blake's point was just don't allow those adjustments to be made emotionally make sure we stick to that north star we have those metrics that we're basing our decisions off of and that way we can combine what we're good at and continue to develop what it is that needs adjustments so that's the breakdown i have those those four guys chuck Rostano from florida state laz gutierrez from nova southeastern mike glavin from northeastern and matt blake the yankees pitching coach those guys' presentations jumped off the page for me. Um, they were all main stage down in Nashville at the uh, at the Opryland Convention Center at the at the ABCA convention. Um, it was a ton of fun listening to them. If you're interested, the ABCA does have an app where you can go in and check out the videos. Every presentation from the convention is uh, is available on a video format on their app or on their website highly highly recommend checking out these presentations any subject that that you can imagine from a baseball lens will be available to you to continue to look into awesome coaches awesome information 
I, I didn't even get to talk about it, but the, the convention center uh, had an expo room where you could go down and companies were set up selling products. Some of the coolest baseball stuff. Even this hat was a giveaway on uh, on day one from Rapsodo. So, I mean, just huge shout out to the to the people that made it possible. It was a super fun experience for me being down there for the first time and getting to go experience one of these conventions for the first time. Um, big shout out to my staff at, uh, at Rutgers Newark. Josh Miller unfortunately couldn't make the trip with us after the birth of his uh, of his first uh, his first baby. So uh, we hope that uh, him and his wife and his his new daughter are continuing to do well. But huge shout out to Connor Cortman, our head coach, Marquay Mayo, making the trip down there with me. It was a it was a ton of fun. Had a great weekend with those guys. Just just learning more about this game that we all love. So I can't say enough good things about the ABCA and and the convention that uh, that we had down in Nashville a couple weekends ago. Awesome getting to hear everybody's presentation throughout the weekend. But, yeah, these four guys, Chuck Rostano, Laz Gutierrez, Mike Glavin, and Matt Blake, their uh, their talks jumped off the page at me. So I just hope that uh, you guys have been able to derive some value from my breakdown, from my recap here. And with that being said, I'm your host, Eric Reardon. This has been the Green Grass and White Bases podcast. It's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game.